Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Celebrate our God-given freedom and faith while honoring our Blessed Mother with Girelli's USA Rosary. Each state is represented on this rosary's 50 beads. Red, white, and blue enamel adorn its patriotic crucifix. Get yours today. Shop www.ghirelli.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. This is Chuck Coughlin setting the record straight on Breadbox Media. Let's talk about Father's Day. Let's talk about fathers. More and more, fathers are not too much in evidence anymore in the shopping malls and the churches, in the schools and conferences with the teachers. Where did they go? What happened? When I was a young boy, the rate of fathers in the home was over 90% in families. In black homes, the rate of intact marriages and father presence was even higher than in white. I, of course, experienced fatherlessness. My father died when I was 11, and I could talk at length about the harm that did. But we're talking about a much larger problem, about fathers that exist somewhere, and many children don't even know who their father is, or even if he's alive or dead. Did they escape, or were they driven off? Interesting question. There was a lot of disinformation, fraudulent viewpoints. It was presented dressed up as science, by scientists, but it was not science. It had an immense effect on society in the 50s. In the 40s and 50s, a book coming of age in Samoa by Margaret Mead had a great effect on the views of young people and dating, or as it used to be quaintly called, courtship. So allow me to set the record straight about the book coming of age of Samoa, that bestseller. It painted a picture of a paradise of promiscuity in the society on the island of Samoa, where children who were born outside of marriage during the courtship phase were raised by the entire village. It was by Margaret Mead, a famous anthropologist at Columbia University. The truth is she only spent two weeks in Samoa, and she interviewed a group of young women who found her amusing and to amuse her, told her the exaggerated, lurid sexual tales of their adventures that seemed to please her, but they were invented stories. These were actually rather average young women who were just about to live a conventional married life, informed by Christianity and monitored by their own virtue and honor. So that was a fraudulent study. Then there was Kinsey. Alfred Kinsey conducted a famous series of studies, extensive studies of sexual behavior that had an immense effect, affecting the behavior of youth in the 60s. It depicted widespread perversion in sexual behavior. Decades later, the truth came out. The study itself was extremely skewed because of the subjects that Kinsey picked. They were largely prostitutes, homosexuals, and people with other perversions. 
Kinsey observed their activity, recorded it, documented it, and presented it in elaborate scientific studies with the implication that this was the behavior of all of us. Many people were convinced and followed the examples that he described. Years later, his fraud was revealed and his reputation transformed from fame to infamy. But the effect of the transgressive behavior he was describing as normal remained thought of as normal and had an immense effect in the new liberation of sexual behavior, recreational sex, free love in the communes and elsewhere. This was the 60s and the 70s. And the percentage of people in intact families declined. Divorce became more and more common. Illegitimacy rose. And fatherhood, the participation in fatherhood and the belief in the importance of fatherhood declined and fathers began vanishing. The third one was Masters and Johnson, who did much the same thing. They presented a false picture. This was fraudulent science. It was presented as scientific enterprise with publications, peer-reviewed journals, but all of it was fraud. All of it was fraudulent, completely incorrect. But it commits my generation and every generation since has been affected by it. It directly led to the creation of Hugh Hefner's playboy philosophy and the misconception of human sexuality and conventional human behavior. And a moral human society was overturned in the majority of minds. I've done some podcasts recently on the Desert Fathers, but you look around in our society and the landscape you see is a desert of fathers. The absence of fathers in our homes is the one of the most noted and commented upon problems in our society. Peer-reviewed journals and popular magazines are full of statistics and articles about this phenomenon and its effects on the pathological effects of a father's absence for the children. But how did this happen? Most people think it was just an inevitable shambling a part of our culture due to something called progress. Was it random chance or was it carefully orchestrated? Many people ridicule that idea. They call it a conspiracy theory. Well, check out E. Michael Jones on that one. Go to YouTube, look up B. Michael Jones. He discusses this and many other topics. He ties it all together and presents it as a single cause. Without thoroughly endorsing everything he says, I can say that he's got the right idea. The cause is one great movement, not a secret one, a very public mass movement. Yes, there's reams of documentation describing exactly how it was orchestrated and who did it, the names, the careers. Many people were aware of it and witnessed it firsthand. All you had to do is look. An effort to break down our society by, among other things, breaking up families, driving the fathers off. It was linked to efforts starting in the early 1900s in every aspect of our culture that is formative, that is causative. Media, most especially that most powerful convincer of all the media, music. And also the world of economics, senior ranks of the military, the political sphere, especially academia, and that powerful instrument of propaganda, the public schools. The public school invented by Otto von Bismarck to regiment the minds of German youth in a way that led directly to Hitler. Then John Dewey imported the public school to the United States to shape the minds of our youth 
to one model, to one mode. As you know, my specialty is exposing a great deal of the history they teach as inverted, as upside down, shallow, constricted, the version of history taught in our public schools, and often 180 degrees off course. The plan is rather simple and clear, rather simple. It just takes persistence over a few generations to disestablish families and to substitute the government for the father. And it's been, and that effort has been very successful. The cliche is that the devil's greatest weapon is convincing everyone that he does not exist. And most people believe that this subversion orchestrated in almost every aspect of our culture, a culture comp or culture war. But this is far from a conspiracy. It's a massive global-wide movement, very visible, every step of it very visible. It took generations to do this. Once you're into your third or fourth generation of people who've succumbed to the subversion, it's very hard to convince them to come back up. Yet the way back is very clear. We could go back the way we came. And I've talked about this before. The plan is simple. The execution, though, is massive. This podcast is intended for June 19th, 2019, Father's Day. Father's Day, the, that lesser holiday that tags along behind the magnificence of Mother's Day. Father's Day is a relatively new concept. Creating it is attributed to a woman, Sonora Smart Dodd, in 1910 established it. She was a member of the old Sanitary Presbyterian Church. It was a work of decades for her, but finally Father's Day was established. And it wasn't easy to do. The news media frequently featured cynical and sarcastic attacks and jokes on the idea of Father's Day, saying it was just commercialism. President Lyndon Johnson issued the first presidential proclamation honoring fathers, designating the third Sunday in June. In 1972, President Nixon signed it into law. Yes, we have the holiday. Much too often, the official attitude and the unofficial attitude in most of culture is to put down fathers, to demean them, to treat their contribution to their families and to their wives and children as unimportant and dispensable. Actually, before the end of this podcast, I'm going to show, based on this study, that it's the one factor that is not dispensable in raising a boy, more important than any other factor. In a moment, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. In my discussion of part of a book called The Boy Crisis by Warren Farrell, PhD. But first, let's talk about some of the statistics of fatherlessness. This is from 2014. How many children live in father-absent homes? About 24%. In 2011, children living in female-headed homes with no spouse present experienced poverty. The poverty rate was almost half, 48%. This is over four times the rate for children living in married couple families. What about infant mortality? A lack of father involvement has been linked to earlier births as well as lower birth weights. Father absence increases the risk of infant mortality a mortality rate for infants within the first 28 days of life is four times higher for those with absent fathers than for those with involved fathers. Now, what about young adolescent women who become pregnant? They're three and a half times more likely for that to occur if their father is absent from home. Even with infants, the disengaged and remote interactions with the father has been shown in several studies 
as a predictor of early behavior problems in children. Let's see, what about gun carrying and gun trafficking in young men? It's strongly linked to the absence of father in the home. One study found that, one study of juvenile male inmates in prisons found that father absence was the only disadvantage on the individual level with significant effects on gun carrying, gun trafficking, and co-occurring behavior. Fathers from individuals from father absent homes were found to be 279% more likely to carry guns and to deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. 279% more. Father involvement is related to positive cognitive developmental and social behavior outcomes, such as improved weight gain in preterm infants, higher receptive language skills, and higher academic achievements. The father's presence even has a physical effect on the continuing neural development of the brain through the early 20s. Actually, the desire to be a father begins in the son who sees in his own dad he who he would become. I came across a wonderful book, The Boy Crisis, subtitled Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It by Warren Farrell, Ph.D., and John Gray, Ph.D. John Gray is famous for his best-selling book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Warren Farrell is one of the greatest experts in, in the psychology of developing boys. And he makes the point that dads and moms both love their children deeply but differently. They have different ways of setting boundaries and enforcing boundaries, exploring in nature, roughhousing, creating teachable moments. Dads have a greater tendency, he has found, to walk a fine line between safety and risk-taking and juggling, reversing back and forth the roles of player and coach when playing games with their children and being creative, spontaneous, and just silly. So dads, much more than moms, tend to turn life into a game. A game that is a rehearsal for managing one's real life as an adult. Farrell observed seven other parenting styles dads tend to use with both their sons and daughters. They create tension between mom and dad if their value to the children is not understood. One is boundary enforcement versus boundary setting. Farrell found that moms are more likely to set boundaries, whereas dads are more likely to enforce boundaries. For example, though mom is likely to set an early bedtime, Tom, single moms are more than three times as likely as single dads to let younger kids get away with later regular bedtimes. And they've learned that boys with poorly enforced boundaries tend to grow up as boys with poor impulse control. The amount of time a father spends with a child is one of the strongest predictors of empathy in adulthood. Teaching a child to respect boundaries seriously teaches him or her to respect the needs of another. It's interesting that children living with dads are less likely to have discipline problems. This is despite the fact that dads are less likely than moms to actually use physical discipline. The second of the seven things is taking risks, exploring natures. A dad needs to be able to contribute a countervailing consideration to mom's fear. The value of learning to explore with dad, dad supervising, of course, so they don't get too lost. Another almost uniquely male dad activity is roughhousing. It's been documented how important this is. It's play fighting. 
in learning one limits, learning one's body, how to fight without hurting a body, how to play fight. It's an essential step in the growth of a male child and too little appreciated till now. I have three sons, all of them loved to roughhouse with me. They were times of great joy. It was play fighting. Typically, kids are energized, laughing, spontaneous, and silly during these times. Dads usually can distinguish between their son or daughter being excited, scared, and scared, scared. When the dad picked up any sense of his son or daughter being scared, scared, he backs off. The kids themselves know that their father may pretend to be a kid, but always returns to dad when needed. And what appears to be a bond of equals is never equal. It's like being on a roller coaster. Kids are excited because they feel safe. There is no substitute for a dad rough-assing with his children, teaching them to defend themselves gently and firmly. This rough play-fighting of the father and children is observable in all pair-bonding mammals. It's a rehearsal for adulthood, for what is absolutely required of an adult. It's an essential step for the eventual conflicts of an adult male, even a rehearsal for war. Yes, it should be emphasized. Even a rehearsal in the expertise necessary to go to war, if that happens. Often the roughhousing becomes a real teachable moment, something that fathers are particularly good at supervising and leading their child through. There's sort of a gap in this area. If the roughhousing leads to the child crying, the mother will think it came out badly, but the father is less likely to. If mother watches, she often finds that the roughhousing is continuing as if nothing had happened, barely acknowledging the child's tears. Mom's maternal emotions are triggered. The wise mother let the father play with the child because the father feels that the child's crying is a healthy part of a three-part cycle. One is losing, second is crying, and then the third is moving on. Crying can be healthy if it's a lesson in losing and moving on in life. If mom is not there, fathers are more likely to nurture their children. Researchers have consistently found that fathers who spend time with their children give their children the gifts of self-control and social skills. Fathers often challenge the child to test their limits to see if they go beyond their performance the last time. Another aspect of dad parenting is having plenty of hangout time, just hanging out together, relaxing. One of the most remarkable effects of dad being absent during those developmental times, especially for boys around the age of nine to 13, it's a time of enormous growth of the brain. Specific and important neural pathways are laid down at this time of a young boy's growing and developing brain. And this growth is inhibited or becomes absent in the absence of a father, having an effect of lower IQ and lesser brain function. And if the father can reappear and try to make up the fathering time later on when the child is a bit older, it doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't work. The important growth of these new neural pathways that integrate the two hemispheres of the brain that occur at this time in a young man's or a young woman's life will not occur. They occur at this time or not at all.
If they don't occur, the opportunity is lost. One of the principal ways in which it can be inhibited in a young boy is the absence of his father. The absence of his father. It's a window of opportunity that opens up to develop the brain. And if that precious time in that father and son's life is lost, of those three to four years, that window never opens again. Older views of the nature of the human brain envisioned a neural system that could live within a body and function as an independent structure. It was a brain in isolation. But with the emergence of technological advances, we could physically peer into functions of the living brain as the mysteries of this extremely complex organ have begun to unfold, we're now realizing how profoundly relational our brains are. They're constructed to be directly influenced by their interactions with other brains. It's not a fluke of nature, but an outcome of evolutionary factors that have favored a plastic brain. By plastic, I mean physically modifiable, moldable, and highly social organ that enables us to be influenced by and influence our companions. It's a plastic brain. It's physically changed by our interactions with the others. There's a little question that the absence of a father physically damages the brain of a child, especially a boy at this time. Indeed, research has shown that of all the factors in a young boy's life, their important neighborhood, mother, school, social, peer group. The one that is of paramount importance and indispensable above all others that has the largest effect is the presence of the father. The father of a young boy from 9 to 13 is of secondary importance to nothing else, even the mother. In earlier life, the younger the child, the more importance the mother has. But that changes. On a related subject, Another study showed that children who lose a father to death, divorce, jail, have it affect their DNA. This study looked at the saliva of 2,420 children enrolled in the federally funded Fragile Families in Child Well-Being study. They were trying to discover if it mattered if children did not have a father actively involved in their life because of death, prison, or divorce. The study was entitled Father loss and child telomere length. Child telomere length. It was published in Pediatrics from the American Academy of Pediatrics. There was a physical effect that was discovered. The nine-year-olds who were separated from their fathers had an average of 14% shorter telomeres. That's the protective portion of the DNA at the ends of the chromosomes. These telomeres naturally shorten with age, at some point, cell division halts when the telomeres are shortened enough. The concern is that having shorter telomeres might mean that your health is affected or your lifespan be shortened. It would be logical that that would be an effect. The shortened telomeres was emphasized in the children who had experienced the father's death. Those children had 16% shorter telomeres. Incarceration of the father led to 10% shorter telomeres. And separation or divorce, 6% shorter.
The degree of shortness in the divorce or separation also depended on the extent of income loss. This is another example of irreparable permanent damage. The effect of a father is mysterious because often they may not talk endlessly about their feelings with their son. It's not because he sat and told his son how to behave. It's but because the young man is modeling himself on his father, on how his father behaves. And if he doesn't have a father, he often goes out and searches out a father figure. Maybe apprentices to a craftsman. And this makes up for much of it. But detailed studies show that there's something more to it. It's like we can smell each other's blood, each other's DNA. The effect of the presence of the biological father is not matched by anything else. An excellent foster father will have part of the effect, but not all of it. The corpus callosum, the bands of tissue connecting the two hemispheres of a brain, is in a state of development and growth in early life. Younger children, before it develops, have an innate difficulty putting words to their feelings. It's important that the relationship with the father be coherent, contingent, and secure. Those three things. Contingent means that there's a responsive interaction between the father and son. They listen and are affected by what the others say and do. Cause and effect have a rational effect. It's not chaotic. That the relationship is both coherent and secure. Someone that the boy, in effect, can lean on. The important point is that the boy's brain neurologically creates a core self that incorporates the stimuli from the outside world. And the stimuli emanating from the father having more importance than any other. A coherent self is neurologically created when the response of the social environment is contingent and secure. In a sense, we're autobiographical. Our complex sense of self is built on how experiences may have impacted us. It is suggested that our self is neurologically created in layers of circuitry that embed both our momentary interactions with the dynamic world and the accumulation of experience as embedded in our various forms of memory. Memory itself is reshaped by recollection and creates new and ever-evolving neural connections. I've worked a lot of my life in the criminal justice system and have many friends that work actually with inmates. One psychologist had worked many years with people who had been convicted of sexual crimes. None of them knew who their father was, had no idea. Matter of fact, I was involved in the information technology end and I knew that the great majority of inmates in our prisons have no idea who their father was. Most of them are fatherless. Now we're talking about state prisons. On a semi-related side note, if you go to the county jails, actually 70% of the people in the county jails are often just men who did not pay their child support. And the usual reason for not paying their child support that they had lost their job. The mind boggles at how incarcerating the father is going to improve the situation. He's going to get further behind and he's more absent than ever. He's going to have a tough time getting hired for another job. Many men flee and hide in other states. But I have to point out, it's becoming less possible in our almost completely transparent society. Are these men just irresponsible? No good drifters? Well, how did that happen? When their grandfathers were, by and large, such responsible family men, hardworking men.
Well, that's a subject for many podcasts about our changing society, the two-income family, the emphasis on peer groups, as opposed to true socialization of the young with all ages mixed together. In our society, we stratify the young by age group. They play with their peer group. We think the peer group socialization is the most important socialization. Demonstrably, that's not so. For the millions of years of human history, our socialization has been with people of every age. There's a lot more to say on this subject here on Father's Day. Let's honor our fathers that were good fathers. I had a good father. And his effect carried on through my life after his death. Because as little as he ever said to me, I was with him a lot. Enough to model myself on him. There's so much misunderstanding of men and fathers in our day. In the day of truly hysterical condemnation of men. Of the assumption of their guilt in every sense and unworthiness. Many say we've lost the culture war. Well, here on Redbox Media, setting the record straight, I'm fighting a rearguard action. Because I do believe that the way that we were taken down is very simple and clear. It's, it's just a large-scale project of a very clear design. And we can reverse it by doing the same thing in reverse. To put it briefly, by taking over the media and firing them, buying the media and firing That would be an excellent start and an effective one. Not just reforming fatherhood, but reforming everything. Let's pray to God that we wake up enough and do that. I'm Chuck Coughlin. Thank you for listening. Setting the record straight about fathers on birdboxmedia.com. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I'd like to invite you to join me for a pilgrimage tour to France this September. It's based on my book, St. Benedict and St. Therese, The Little Rule and the Little Way. I'll be teaching about the spiritualities and the lives of these two great saints, and we'll be visiting the great monastery of Fleury, where St. Benedict's relics are venerated, and of course going to Lisieux to visit the childhood home of St. Therese, the Carmel where she was a nun, and the great basilica dedicated to her honor. But there's more than that. At Paris, we'll be visiting the Basilica of Sacré-Cœur, Rue de Bac with the Miraculous Medal, going on to Vézelay, Nevers with St. Bernadette, Paris-le-Monial, where the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus was given to St. Margaret Mary, and then Chartres Cathedral, Mont Saint-Michel, the Normandy beaches, and more. I think there's not only going to be time for instruction and learning, but also prayer and worship, celebrating Mass in the various locations, and also time for fellowship and a good bit of French food and wine, too. Come and join us this September. If you'd like to know more, go to catholicheritagetours.com. That's catholicheritagetours.com, or be in touch with me through my website, twightlongenecker.com. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at caneford.com.